This morning's sermon text is from Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found, found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, his owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down to, Mount Olive, to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice of all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. All right, this morning we are looking at Palm Sunday. What is Palm Sunday? Uh, we've heard about it probably, especially here in this city of Western Hills where the liturgical calendar is known. And uh, for the rest of us Baptists, um, it's a part of the what is known as the, the holy calendar, the liturgical calendar. And so um, it's a good thing when you think about this, because God in his word repeats over and over that we should do things to remember his goodness towards us. In the Old Testament, we saw that the children of Israel were instructed to, to, to build mounds of stones as a memorial for what God had done for them so they could show future generations remember what God has done. Communion that we do every week is, is another way to remember what Christ has done for us. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so really by, by having this church calendar, as we call it, it's us pretty much ordering our lives, our year around what God has done for us. So that's what Palm Sunday is. It's part of that, um, that celebration of what God has done for us. And it marks the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on his final week of life, uh, what we would, would call Holy Week, and uh, it begins the torturous uh, time of his suffering for us. And all four Gospels record this event. John tells us that the people brought the palm branches and waved them. We'll see that in just a moment. But we're going to look at this today. We're just going to read this text again, and then we're going to just look at three reasons why Palm Sunday matters to us. Three reasons why Palm Sunday matters. So let's notice Luke 19, verse 28. It says this. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at, at the mount that is called Olive, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which uh, no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you stealing my car? I'm kidding. Why are, you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. 
And the other gospel writers tell us that they willingly gave the cult, uh, cult to Jesus. And so here we see this glorious picture of the sovereignty of God. He, he has planned all this out from the, from the beginning, all the way back 500 years earlier. The book of Zechariah foretells this very thing happening. And this is exactly what is fulfilled uh, here in this passage. But as we continue, look at verse 35. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he was uh, rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. And so what are some of these mighty works? Uh, it's amazing. I mean, specifically here talking about Bethany, where Jesus had recently raised the brother of Mary and Martha, Lazarus, from the dead. But other things that they have seen, he's fed multitudes, thousands and thousands with, with, with just loaves and fish. Uh, he, he's raised uh, the dead, as we said. He's healed the sick. He's controlled the weather. He, he's done all these works. And so here they are seeing him coming to Jerusalem. And so they're saying, he's our king. Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Because now these people are speaking truth. You see, the days where Jesus would say after a miracle, Tell no man. Don't tell anybody about this. My hour has not yet come. Well, that's over because his hour has come, and as they speak truth, the universe nods in agreement. Yes, this is the king of glory. Now let's look at John's account, just a short part of that. In, in John chapter 12, verse 12, we see this. Then the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took uh, branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord even the king of israel wow so so this this palm sunday as we call it what what a time as jesus marches in to the city of jerusalem fulfilling 500 plus years of prophecy thousands of years of prophecy as the messiah is here and so really, we got to think of this. We got we to look at how does this incident that happened nearly 2,000 years ago really matter to us today? Well, three reasons that Palm Sunday matters. Number one, it reveals the complete hopelessness of fallen man. It reveals the complete hopelessness of fallen man. So by the word fallen man, that means sin, complete sin. Some would call this total depravity. Some would call this complete uh, effect of sin upon us. We are, we are completely affected by sin. We're not the complete sinners we could be. We, we, we don't sin to the nth degree. We don't do the worst thing possible, but we are capable of it because every faculty of us, our mind, our will, our emotions have been affected by sin. And, and, and Palm Sunday, believe it or not, shows us this. I mean, think about this. The very fact that the Son of God is standing on the earth and entering into Jerusalem is a huge indictment on the human race. 
Because the reason he's doing that is because we are totally fallen without hope in our sin. That's the only reason he's here and, and walking in to Jerusalem. Isaiah 64, 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. So there it is. This is, this is who we are. Even our best deeds as fallen human beings are filthy in the sight of a holy God. Now, really, folks, the doctrine of sin and the, and the doctrine of the holiness of God must go hand in hand, or we're never going to comprehend how awful and grotesque sin is and how serious it is for us. I mean, we, we, do, we can't imagine the holiness of God. And we can't imagine the offense that our sin has caused him. But that's why Jesus came, because we were that offensive, and we were that dead, and we were that hopeless. If there was something we could do, then God would just institute a religion and say, keep these rules and I'll see you in heaven. But he came himself, put on our flesh, because it was the only way. And now he's marching into Jerusalem to take the full wrath of God to pay for this wickedness that we cannot begin to pay for. That's how bad the situation is. Luke 19.10 verifies this. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. <sighs> Amen. But that word in the Greek, apolumi, lost, literally means destroyed, perishing. That's, that's who we are. We're not just lost in, in, in Kmart looking for our parents. Kmart's lost now. I can't even find Kmart. <laughs> But it's not that. It means he came to save those who were being destroyed by sin and will perish. That's our plight. That's how bad it is. I mean, we look at John 3, 16, one of the most glorious verses in all of Scripture. We'll read through verse 18. But look at this. Look how, it, how the Bible points out the significance and the, the, the total completeness of our destruction and sin and our hopelessness in it. And that Christ had to come. And he is the only hope. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. Same word that was used for lost. Would not be destroyed. But have everlasting life or eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Why? Because that's the only way it can be saved is through the perfection of Christ, not through us. Notice the importance of that verse. It says that he did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Many people jump on that and say, well, see, God doesn't condemn us. No, he didn't come to condemn the world because the world was already totally condemned. The Bible here is specifically stressing that he came to save those who were already condemned. Notice the rest. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God, who is the only hope of salvation, who is the only Savior. Why? Because we are totally unable to do anything, to wipe any mark of sin off of us. But, but really, folks, the reason we don't get this stuff is because we have this faulty view of sin, especially in the West here, a faulty view of sin. 
And you get a faulty view of God's holiness. They go hand in hand. If you don't know how holy God is, you don't know how bad sin is. Even the slightest imperfection. Because we judge each other by each other. And we begin to think, wow, I'm not so bad. I want to use an illustration. I was reading an article by Coulter Pundit, who is an East Asian mission leader. And he was here in America driving along with a friend. and, And this just points out how we don't even think about our sin. And we justify it and think we're doing well by keeping some of the little laws and regulations in our own mind. But he tells of being a passenger in, in, in this car with his friend, and, and they're driving along here, and, and his friend's very meticulous. They get in the car, and he observes all the laws. His friend buckles the seatbelt and drives the speed limit and is very careful about lane changes and, and, and speed limit and, and traffic lights, just obeying the law. Well, then they come to this construction site, and they're stuck in traffic. And uh, after five minutes, man, frustrated, and the friend from the, the, you know, Coulter from India says, hey, why don't you just drive up here on the sidewalk, go around this work area, and we'll be on our way. And the friend says, well, you can't do that. That's illegal. It's against the law. You should never do that. After 15 minutes of sitting in the hot sun in this traffic jam, this friend, this American friend, rolls his window down and begins to berate, verbally berate these workers, calling them uh, inept and, and, and that my grandma could do this faster than you. What, you know, what is going on here? And then he rolls the window up and sits there like nothing happened, to which the missionary sitting there thinking, wow. So driving your car on this curb, which wouldn't have not really hurt anything, is, is, is bad and unlawful, but you just berated verbally in hatred a fellow human being, your neighbor, as Christ would call him, and you don't see that you are a lawbreaker and that you are a sinner? So see, what I'm saying, folks, is this is it. We don't have a concept of sin. Even these small things that we sometimes think, well, that's okay. I'm, I'm angry. I'm bitter. I mean, this happens with all of us, right? I mean, this, this happens in all of our relationships. Husbands and wives. How often does it happen? We, we harbor bitterness and anger at our workplace, the same thing. And, and we look at someone and we judge them, we judge them. Oh, we have this sin of haughtiness and pride and arrogance. That's why the Bible talks so much about that. You can't see that as blatantly as breaking the speed limit or running at a red light. But it's there. When we judge people on their appearance and we think we're so much better, I mean, it just, we got to be honest about this, folks. This is what it means to be sinful. And this stuff offends a holy God. This is why sin is so important. Because God is so perfect. What does it mean? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We just quote that verse like, oh, break a few rules. All have broken a few rules, right? All of us have done boo-boos. Yeah, all of us have committed bad things. No. To fall short of the glory of God simply means you're all sinners because you're not perfect. Anything less than perfection means you are unholy and totally offensive to God. That's what sin is. I mean, think about it. Here we are, right? God is perfect. Now, this is, uh, I wish we had, this is, don't look at the Cincinnati air bubbles in this water. 
But this is, let's just say this is a pristine, 100% pure glass of water, right? And then we go to the sewage plant and we take some water from there and we take a, just, a, just one drop, bing, couple drops. Yeah, not a problem, right? Then who's going to drink this now? Just, just a one drop. You can't even see. It looks the same. Looks pretty good, right? Doesn't look too bad. But we know that it is totally contaminated now. It is not pure. Well, it's about, you know, it's mostly pure. It's kind of pure. It's not pure. Period. And this is, this is the concept we have to get. That's why, again, I said that you must have the doctrine of the holiness of God firmly in your mind to understand the doctrine of sin and how bad our sin really is. And that's what Palm Sunday shows all of us, the most pious among us, the most religious among us, the most moral and law-keeping among us. It shows us that our best deeds are filthy garments in his sight and that his son had to become a human and take that sin and shed his perfect blood to cover us. That's what Palm Sunday shows us. That's why it's important for us. But number two, number two, Palm Sunday is important not only because it reveals the complete fallenness of man, but it initiates the betrayal, suffering, and crucifixion of our Messiah. This is when it all began. When he enters that, that city, this final week of his life, he's betrayed, he's lied about, there's false trials, there's torture, there's beatings, and finally crucifixion and death. It all begins this week of Palm Sunday. John 12, 27 puts it like this. As Jesus is entering, he says, now is my soul troubled. Yes, he's God, but yes, he is man. He was tempted in all points like we are. He felt the emotions that all of us feel. And here he is going into this moment of trial and torture and suffering none of us can comprehend as he takes the full wrath of God for our sin. And he says, my soul is troubled. But then he says, and what shall I say? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. This is why I'm here. This is why I'm marching into Jerusalem. To save that which is lost. This is why I'm here. And we need to understand that. So again, I, I pray that this... Consideration of Palm Sunday causes us to look at ourselves and look at the glory of God and, and be broken, but also be encouraged. I, I read the Valley of Vision, and I, and I encourage you, this is a, a version I have, it's a leather-bound version, but there's paperback versions of this. The Valley of Vision is, a, is this compilation of prayers by uh, great Puritans of the past and just people, just, just church members like us that, that wrote their prayers down, and we have this compilation. But man, it's, it's very uh, inspiring and encouraging and, and even even confrontational to your heart sometimes, and that's okay. But I just want to read a portion of one of those prayers from the Valley of Vision, and may it break our hearts. Before thy cross I kneel and see the heinousness of my sin, my iniquity that caused thee to be made a curse, the evil that excites the severity of divine wrath. Show me the enormity of my guilt. Folks, it's okay to pray that we must do this. Show me the enormity of my guilt by the crown of thorns, the pierced hands and feet, the bruised body, the dying cries. 
Thy blood is the blood of incarnate God. It's worth infinite. It's value beyond all thought. Therefore, infinite must be the evil and guilt that demands such a price. See, that's what Palm Sunday matters. That's why Palm Sunday matters. That's what it shows us. The depth of our lostness, the extreme hopelessness, and yet the hope of glory. So again, the, 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 the fact that God crushed his only son shows the severity of our lostness. There was nothing else, nothing else that could make us right. So we remember the Psalm of Palm Sunday, and it reminds us of this. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read these words, right? We read these words that say, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we rejoice when we hear those words. That is the gospel. That is the grace of God exhibited and manifested to us through Christ. And so that's why Palm Sunday matters. But finally, thirdly, it, it, it previews the glory of the triumphant king and his kingdom. Man, for those who have tasted and we see that the Lord is good and gracious and we have rested in Christ, what a glorious truth. This moment as Jesus walks into Jerusalem is a preview of the triumphant king and his kingdom. And right now, in that moment, it's not too triumphant, right? Like I say, this is a, a week of suffering and, and abuse shame, mockery. He is the suffering servant right here, but this is a preview of the triumphant king and his triumphant kingdom, which we who are in him are a part of. And so let's notice John 12, verses 12 through 13. One more time. What are they saying on that day, on Palm Sunday, as he enters? The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Mm, I love this. The apostle John, who wrote this gospel, John, who wrote the gospel, is the same one who wrote the book of Revelation. There are some great connections here, and, and, and I can't help but make this connection in Revelation 7, 9 through 10, as John sees that future kingdom, that final uh, eschatological fulfillment of the plan of God when he makes all things new. We are made new. Our sin is gone. The scars of our sin, no more seen. Brand new bodies that do not bear any resemblance to the sinful bodies here. And no, no nature of sin, no desire for sin. We don't have it anymore. It's been wiped away by the grace of God. Finally, once and for all, that glorification. It's fulfilled. But look at Revelation 7, 9 through 10. This is what John sees on that day. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, 
from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. May, may we who know Christ see this preview on Palm Sunday as he enters in and hears those cries. Here's the King of Kings. Yes, it's not time yet for that final enthroning of the King. He is suffering to save his people. And yes, his kingdom is made up of those of us who have rested in him and trusted that sacrifice. But it was a dry run, if you will. It was a preview of a day when we will worship him as the triumphant King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Man, and that is our hope. Because in that state, now right now we're being sanctified by his grace, and that means that he is changing us by what we're doing today, the preaching of his word as we're confronted by our sin and we see his holiness and his spirit in us begins to work and we begin to confess sin and hate our sin and begin to put on things that are more glorifying to him, but we're still in this flesh. And the enemy is still real. And so there's times that as even in our sanctification, even as, even as the spirit is moving in us and working in us, we still sin. And there are still consequences. And there are still marks on us and scars. We're not in this place yet. This perfect place of standing there with white robes with no blemish on them. But we will be because Palm Sunday <laughs> is a preview of that. And we long for that, right? All of us do long for that. That day when we're not even thinking about our sin anymore. It's gone. We're not embarrassed about our past. We don't have to hide our heads. Even though we know that we're saved by Christ, there's so many things in our past that have happened. And, and, and we, we, we feel it. The shame. We feel the eyes upon us from other people still judging. And that's part of this broken life. But one day, we will be fully clothed without a blemish. I was thinking about this this week a little bit because uh, uh, about a month ago, month, maybe two months ago, my, my wife's car, the transmission went out and um, I broke down and said, well, okay, we're going to get a, a safer car. So we got a 2016, that's brand new for us, 2016 Honda Pilot, white, beautiful. I mean, here was shining, no blemish. And so um, my brother-in-law, Mark, is going to love this story. Um, didn't tell you this yet, Mark. So, so I've got my Jeep that's kind of held together by duct tape. There's literally duct tape on it. But anyway, I'm backing out. My wife had pulled up to the driveway, but she didn't go in, or to the garage, but didn't go in. She just, the car's outside. I'm coming out of the garage. See how you, uh, you guys are thinking ahead? That's good. So, anticipating. That's good. So, I'm not thinking I'd be able to make my turn to you know, do the turnabout, and I... Uh, I feel a little friction, and I realize, oh, oh, yeah, there's a car here. Too late, as the uh, mirror, mirror just, just uh, all the way down the quarter panel or the fender or whatever you call this left thing over the tire here by the driver's side. So I, I, I put it back in drive, get into the garage, come out and look, and oh, my goodness, this, this streak, this blotch all the way, probably that long, just, just along the whole car there. Oh man, I'm dead. <laughs> I'm sad because it was so pretty. We just, it's just nice. Like, let's keep this nice. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. You know. But 
Man, so I'm scratching on it a little bit, thinking, come on, this is just a flesh wound, right? No big deal. <laughs> you know, no big deal. Scratch, scratch. And then it's, a few things came up, but not much. I mean, it's like, oh, boy. So I was like, this is it. I'm dead. What a mess. My wife and my brother-in-law are going to kill me. I mean, this is just <laughs> terrible because he's very meticulous. But anyway, but my son then comes out with a water bottle, hot water in this, this water bottle in a rag, and we pour it. I don't think it's not going to hurt. He starts rubbing, rubbing, and sure enough, voila, this stuff, as we rub and rub and rub and rub, it just, it vanishes. Whew, I can stay home. I have a place to live. It's wonderful. I'm like, this is great. But it was just that feeling. I just saw that. It was like, it's back. It's, it's wiped away. This blemish, it's gone. That's what the Bible's saying for all of us. We've all got these blemishes and, and sin, even believers in this broken world in a, in, a, in, a, in a not glorified body yet. But one day, what Palm Sunday shows us is that we will stand with Christ after God wipes away all tears and all stains of sin. There is nothing left. We're glorified in a brand new body, clothed in the white righteousness robes of Christ, glorifying our Savior forever. Amen. That's what Palm Sunday means and, and matters, why it matters to us. Let me just close by reading Jude 24. Don't ask what chapter. Jude 24 says this, and look at this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, that's sanctification, he's going to keep us in this world. We're still growing day by day, but look what it happens. And will present you blameless, that's without blemish, before the presence of the glory, of his glory, with great joy. Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer.